Osiris. Hey everyone, it's Cam Hurt, host of the Best Show Ever podcast, and we have got a second season coming out very soon that I am very excited about. We've got some very cool special guests, including musical acts that we all love, like Karina Reichman, Daniel Donato, Jake Brownstein from Eggy, Rick and Peter from Goose, and many more. Tune in for new episodes dropping on Osiris Media March 5th on the Best Show Ever podcast. Hey everyone, I am super excited to bring you today's episode of We Move Through Stormy Weather, featuring keyboardist Kevin Gastongwe. We're going to talk about his time playing with Corey Wong, geek out about keyboards, and get into his solo stuff. Keep listening in for that. Before we dive in, I want to take a minute to tell you about Verzio Wellness. The Verzio Functional Mushrooms are here to help right now, whether you are gearing up for a show, going to sleep afterwards, or recovering and restoring the day after. Using varieties like Lion's Mane, Chaga, Reishi, and more, the Verzio concentrates the health benefits from these potent fruiting bodies into a supplement with a variety of applications. I take their Lion's Mane Focus Blend every morning and really enjoy the boost it gives me throughout the day. Order your Verzio now with code STORMSOUND15, which gives you 15% off your order and ships anywhere in the U.S. or Canada. Welcome back to We Move Through Stormy Weather, a podcast by Storm Sound. My name is Ryan Storm, and today I am joined by Kevin Gastongwe. Kevin is a composer, producer, and international touring musician based in Minneapolis. He is best known for his work as longtime keyboardist with Corey Wong. Kevin has three instrumental solo albums, one of which, called Last Place Dreamer, was released just this past month. His albums serve as a showcase for his chops in arrangement and production, and heavily feature his expansive collection of vintage and modern keyboards. Kevin has been a mainstay in the Twin Cities music scene for the past 15 years, recording, teaching, and playing with a variety of musicians and bands spanning many genres. Hi, Kevin. Hey, man. How are you? I am great. Uh, just sold the keyboard on Craigslist right before I met up with you. So, so that's good. It's it's good. It's it's hard. Um, you know, I have these keyboards. I have a lot of different keyboards and it's hard to part with them, but I'm I'm working on it, you know. What kind of keyboard were you just selling? I sold a MS2000, a Korg MS2000, which is like a 2000s uh early 2000s digital analog synth and it's uh it's a it's a cool i've had it for a long time it's got a really nice like stevie wonder bass patch sound on it Ooh. that i really like like yeah like boogie on reggae woman kind of sound and uh yeah it's it's been sitting around i i just got a different i, I bought a new keyboard and i'm trying to sell some old ones and trying to you know get in the habit of that so mm-hmm. it's good you know, I've, actually, this week I've sold two different keyboards, so I'm feeling feeling good. It just means you now have space to buy more newer keyboards. Well, that's the whole thing, you know. I got to yeah. pay off that Sweetwater credit card, you know, <laughs> so, I can, so I can put some more things on it. Exactly, <laughs> so. exactly. Well, I'm I'm really really excited to have you on today. Um, thank you so much for being here. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, Thanks for having me. Yeah. So the two of us have been, you know, kind of keyboard geeking on social media um yeah for for a while now like a couple of years i yeah. think you know every time you like you know there's a new Corey wong release and you're doing something like crazy and i'm like oh like it's so cool <laughs> <laughs> but yeah I'm, I'm really excited to have you here uh this is the the third um 
really episode of this podcast that's not totally fish centric um uh, we're just having a, a great conversation with yeah. a musician i love so uh for the other two of those that are currently out um check out episode 23 uh, where i talked to zach brock from snarky puppy oh nice. and episode 24 where i talked to jeff arevalo from goose cool uh, so those those are great episodes for anybody listening um and of course you know, the other many, many fish episodes. And because this is primarily a fish podcast, you know, Kevin, I know you're not much of an active fish fan, but you have had some connection to the music. Yes. Yes. Uh, you know, just playing in the jam scene, I have been, you know, called, I've done a, a few tr fish tributes. So I've had a, I've had a study, learn the music. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think I did like YEM, YEM. YEM, yeah. I did that. That's the name of the song, right? Yes, you enjoy yeah, myself. You enjoy myself. Yeah, I did that. I think at the beginning of the pandemic, some some guys hit me up and were like, hey, can we do this? Uh, and I had actually played it maybe to 10 years ago. So I was like, oh, let me let me see if I can remember it. And yeah. uh, and I, I didn't really, but I, I learned it. You know, then we did like a video thing where I did it at home and there's a thing. But yeah, you know, I've played fish. Um, oh, we do waste uh, with Corey sometimes, actually. Yes, that was, that was a, a huge surprise to me when you guys, um, you know, because... Obviously, unlike with fish, when you guys are on tour, you know, the set lists aren't posted everywhere. You know, right. you guys have started recording every show, I yep. think, more oh, recently. Yeah. Um, yeah, for yeah, for actually most of it's mostly we to, we record almost every show, um, ah. at least all the like club shows, festivals, sometimes not. But uh, Corey's been pretty active in uh, for the last uh, three ish years recording mm -hmm. every show. Um, but we should post a set list. That would be cool. Yeah. You know. And so, you know, in, in like mid 2020, when it was like, all right, we're going to, you know, Corey announced like we're going to premiere this, you know, big like homecoming show we did in Minneapolis last yep. fall, whatever. And like one of the clips he posted was like Antoine Stanley Antoine. singing Waste with you guys. And I yeah. was like, what? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think that was the only time we played it live, actually. Yeah, that's a great song, and we did it at, at First Avenue. Our, I think it was like the, that last show before the pandemic, and uh, yeah, it's a great song. We actually rehearsed it for this pat this recent tour with uh, you know, Robbie from Ripe Wolfson. Yeah, he, he was uh, gonna sing it. We rehearsed it for this past. We just got uh, for little uh, context. We did a uh, sixteen date tour ish. Just got back like a week ago. Um, of the West Coast, Western United States. Um, and we rehearsed it for that tour, but we never played it. So maybe on the East Coast we'll play it. I don't know. We're, I, we'll we'll see. I, I'm I'm personally sad you guys are skipping Toronto this year. Oh, I know. But I know. You know what? It's the show got the show got postponed last year, and so yep. makes sense that don't want to risk that again, but. I'm hoping I'm hoping I can make the Detroit one. You know, I right on, my, my last yeah. time my last time seeing uh, you guys live was right before the pandemic in 2020. Okay, which was a lot of fun. That's right. You couldn't make the summer. We did the summer festivals this this year. Correct. I was I was at summer camp. Uh, oh, as I oh have nice. Been doing. Yes, summer um, camp. Yeah. So man. I I do have you know so many questions and lots of things I want to go into about the live show with Corey and everything. Sure. But first, let's talk a little bit about you. Um, tell me about your musical upbringing. You know what you were listening to as a kid, high school, college, etc. Sure. Um, so I guess I um I have two older brothers. They started playing piano. Um, and then as my mom says that I just started playing, uh, their stuff by ear. It was like, I was like five or 
four or five and I sort of started playing um, like displayed that I could play by ear and just kind of figure stuff out. Um, so I had some natural ability. They, they, I got in lessons maybe when I was six and started doing like regular piano lessons with uh, old lady down the street um, that, you know, not nice. like a great teacher, but uh, you know, got some of the basics done. Um, That's where the chops come from. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, and then uh, I started playing uh, drums when I was in fourth grade. Got percussion. Um, got into percussion lessons. Took uh, from a great instructor. Started learning uh, mallets. Uh, the whole percussion gambit. Uh, got into drum line. Was really into drum line. Uh, played snare in the fall. In the winter drum line, I played formal marimba. Um, super into that. I, I, I like won a state competition in that in high school. Um, I was actually thinking of doing marimba, like percussion as a, as a career. Um, so, you know, with all, we all, with all the instrument switching that goes on mostly between Corey and Sonny, when you guys are playing, how come, you know, you never break out the marimba on stage? <laughs> We've talked about it for many, many <laughs> years. What's funny is that, uh, so, uh, Corey and I, um, have known each other since 2005. We started playing together. Um, first, uh, when we, uh, first day of college, we started playing together. Um, nice. We both were going to college at the exact same time. He's like a couple years older, but he is. Where did you guys to, go? Uh, a place called McNally Smith College of Music, which is um, in St. Paul, Minnesota, and it's not there anymore, actually. It closed down four years ago. Um, and I was actually teaching there at the time. That, so that was. Uh, but it, it kind of coincidentally closed down right as Corey started ramping up all the touring. So I was I was going to be gone most of the semester anyways. Um, but uh, Corey was Corey also did drumline, and we had both um, when we met we had both been instructing our um, our high school drumlines and we're competing against each other because <laughs> he went to he went to like a, a different school on the other side of the the cities. He grew yeah. up he grew up in uh, Fridley, and I was in Burnsville, which are like. Uh, suburbs on the other side of the cities from each other and where we competed against each other and it was kind of funny um so uh yeah so i got into the drums uh, i'll back up here um yeah grew up playing drums drum set uh had my two older brothers would play like bass and guitar we had like a family band playing like incubus you know blink 182 red hot chili peppers third nice. eye blind like all the you know 90s uh music i'd would have a bunch of friends come over i'd always i'd always be on drum set basically and we'd play rage against the machine and like metallica like wow. all that all that kind of stuff i i guess dave matthews band um i didn't really get into anything cool um well that's all cool but like i mean anything, that, that's cool it is cool i, I mean family like, bands are cool as somebody it, it is, who plays with his family all the time like we're, we're yeah. a fish cover band but oh nice all right yeah. Yeah, that would that would have been fun to to do. Um, nothing, I guess, nothing challenging in the sense of um, like uh, on the I don't know. It's just like stuff that you listen to as a kid, you know. Uh, yeah. What whatever is on. I I nothing. We didn't get into any of the old stuff. It was just kind of like what was on the radio then. Um, and uh, so we we you know grew up playing all that stuff. My uh, parents didn't have any uh, insight on the the music scene. Uh, my dad played a little bit of guitar, but um, I didn't like have a very uh, solid connection into the music scene. Um, so I didn't grow up with that or I didn't know a lot of professional musicians or maybe any um, growing up ex except for my uh, drum instructor. And then I, uh, my piano instructor, which I, I switched piano instructors when I was in like uh, sixth grade to like a guy who uh, taught jazz 
and started learning Ooh. that stuff. So that was kind of where I started to work on core theory and all that stuff when mm-hmm. I was uh, six. And I kind of took it seriously, sort of. Um, and then uh, in 12th grade, I started like a jazz trio with uh, some friends and uh, started improvising in, uh, in a jazz sense. And uh, and uh, then kind of was like, you know, I think I want to do, well, I always knew I wanted to do music. I just didn't know what I wanted to do. Um, right. And it was, uh, so I was kind of like, I think I want to be a keyboardist. It makes more sense to be a piano player, keyboardist, whatever. Didn't really know anything about synths or organ or any of that stuff until actually a college. Um, so I didn't, um, yeah, I think to me, it's kind of like a, it took me a while to really learn about a lot of this stuff, which I think if the internet was what it was today, I probably would have known about this all growing up, like all the different synthesizers, organ playing, like, um, all that stuff. But I didn't really have a clue until, um, college when I, then I started getting into all the jazz fusion synthesize, uh, you know, weather report. Return to Herbie, Forever, Hancock, Herbie, yeah. exactly. Um, all that stuff, Rhodes, and and that was kind of where I when, started. When was the first time you got to play like a real like vintage keyboard, like a Rhodes Ooh, or an organ? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I, I mean, I, I can't remember the moment. Um, I can remember when I first learned about it and I was all listening to watching uh, Weather Report live yeah. in Montreux like 1976 or something and getting all into Herbie Hancock thrust headhunters uh flood and um I don't yeah I don't remember I do remember being on a gig an Aretha uh, Franklin tribute show at this bar in Minneapolis where there was an organ there mm-hmm. and I was the keyboardist of the gig and I was playing piano and I didn't touch the organ. It was sitting right next to me, like adjacent, because um, it was just it was just a house organ, just set right. up. I didn't know how to play it. Saxophone player comes over halfway through the gig, and it's just like, "What are you doing?" Start, <laughs> like, it's here. <laughs> starts playing the organ, starts ripping the B three, and this guy is actually the saxophone player for Michael Bolton. Actually, uh, it's like a local one of the guys who's in this local uh family who's uh a predominant family in the r&b and jazz scene here and uh, i was just like a kid and i was just like oh crap i gotta learn how to play organ i should i should i should do this yeah i should touch it you know so that was kind of like a kick you know like i need to start learning how to play keyboards um kind of you know thinking about it as a as a job and then developing the love for it as i went on you know um yeah just didn't grow up playing in church didn't, didn't know anything about any of that stuff. So I right. guess it was like 18, 19 when I really started getting into that stuff. And then, then I just started buying the keyboards because I figured you can't play Rhodes, Whirly, any of the vintage stuff in stores. So I'm just looking at Craigslist nonstop looking for, for boards. And I want to live with it. I want to have it in my hands and live with it for a while and then, then develop an opinion on it. And, uh, and that's where it's like, okay, I just need to start buying keyboards, you know, saving yeah. up. And a lot of a lot of my keyboards I have uh, that I, I first played, I think, is when I bought them. Honestly, you know, it was just I didn't, yeah. That's or ma- probably bad. in a studio, I probably played some of that stuff maybe beforehand. But mm-hmm. yeah, I got to think of that one. Uh, that's a good, that's a yeah. good question. So you mentioned, um, you know, around that age, uh, first day of college, you met Corey. Um, mm-hmm. You know, after you guys had 
you know, done competing drum lines, but did you guys immediately click musically? Yes. Um, was it just like a random jam or how, how did yeah, that yeah. come together? So, um, so how it works is we both started school and they pair you up with in, in ensembles with people that they think are at your, your same skill level or like the people that would get along. So we were both paired up in some kind of like jazz ensemble, I think. And he was a guitar player. I was a keyboard player. And we were both like, yeah, man, you know, Blue Bassa, you know, and like, <laughs> like uh, all like we, we were both trying to be jazz players. Right. And at the time, and um, he was super into Pat Metheny. Um, I think I was, I was super into Chick Corea at the time. And uh, we just, that was, that was it. We started playing together and then it was just, he's one of the guys that, uh, you know, at, at music school or whatever, you quickly realize who you want to play with. Um, and then we started playing together, writing together. Um, uh, we landed this gig at uh, a local jazz club in St. Paul, opening up for, for free, opening up for this uh, jazz organ trio, which are some of the, the heavy hitters in town. They played right. every Tuesday. It was like a Tuesday night institution in Minneapolis, Tuesday night organ night at this uh, basement jazz club. It's a really cool vibe. And uh, and uh, I think at the time you could you used to, you used to could smoke down there. Um, and uh, we uh, started p- playing for two hours before before they went on for free. And Just the two of you? Me, Corey, and then uh, two other guys. It'd be like a quartet. And... Um, it was uh, the Corey Wong Quartet is what it was, what it was built around because Corey got picked up the gig. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, we play Corey's originals, my originals, just random random stuff. And then um, whoever else was on the band and then whatever else we wanted to play. Um, and we did that for six years. Wow. Um, so, which is kind of crazy, but we just wanted to play. And there was a grand piano down there, like right. kind of like a club with some stature. We're super young, just trying to get our feet wet, you know. But we just love to play. And uh, we held that gig for six years, just free, <laughs> you know. Nice, like, yeah. Just did it for free, like building the chops. Yeah, exactly. You know, we just like to do it. So, um, and it was fun. You know, we'd have you know tens of people down there. You know, it was solid. You know, or or not. You know, <laughs> we played right. a but, lot of. Yeah, know. but you were there. You were there to for for the experience to like you know play music. Yeah, play right? music. Like, it was a Tuesday, seven to nine. Like. What else are you doing on Tuesday, seven to nine? I was like, let's play with, let's play uh, music with my friends, and uh, and Pitar started playing with us too when he, because he moved in uh, two thousand nine, so I, I think that gig probably started in maybe two thousand six or seven, seven maybe not, yeah, somewhere around there it started, and Pitar mm-hmm. moved to town in two thousand nine, I think, and then he started kind of playing with us too. Uh, yeah, John Pitar. For anyone who doesn't know, uh, Pitar is the drummer uh, in the Cory Wong. Yes, and then um, we would go out. And uh, watch. We we go down to Bunkers, uh, which is a club in Minneapolis that we've all played a ton at um, over the years, and watch Sonny T play. Um, and some of the some of the guys in the Tuesday Night Band that I'm talking about, the the organ group, were actually the guitar player and the keyboard player at the time of that band that played every Sunday and Monday at Bunkers. Mm-hmm. And um, we'd go watch these guys play, and it was like Sonny and uh, Michael Bland, like all these uh, heavy hitters um, from Minneapolis, and we uh, but they were playing all R and B funk covers um, mm-hmm. every Monday and Tuesday night, and uh, we yeah, it's like we play the artist court on Tuesdays, and and we'd go down and watch you know uh, 
the guys play on Sundays and Mondays. Um, and that was like kind of the Minneapolis upbringing really. Um, right. Yeah. No, I know. And, and you guys started getting involved with, uh, bunkers at, at 1.2 right that's dr yeah. mambo's combo, dr. Mambo's combo. yes i i was the, the well yeah patar uh became michael bland if uh if you don't know who michael bland is he is a uh, incredible he was a prince's uh, drummer for a very long time and he, he's actually featured on uh the wolf peck tune hero town um, great song yeah um but he's a incredible producer played with everybody um and uh as long uh, with sunny too like him and sunny been um, they play um, just just a rhythm section. Those guys have played with so mm-hmm. many so many different people together. But um, Pitar started subbing for him at the at the combo we call it, um, and he was basically Michael's understudy for a long time. Michael kind of really uh, groomed Pitar um, early on, and um, and then I, I became the keyboardist of that band for the last six years until recently, um, and uh, and then Corey would sub every once in a while and that's actually where he met Wolfpack. Actually Wolfpack came in to watch mm-hmm. that watch that band and Corey was subbing that night and that's how they ended up meeting. That's how it started right. started everything actually. Which is like, I don't know, eight years ago or something. Six eight, seven. More than that, something. I think. Yes. It, it was it was it was a a while ago. So he knew yeah. those guys kind of w- before it everything took off. Um mm-hmm. but yeah, this is like the kind of the institution in Minneapolis is that uh that club and Every Sunday, Monday, you'd have famous people that are in town would come out, come down and sit in. Prince used to be there, sitting in the corner, like uh, randomly. He would show up, and sometimes he'd play. Sometimes his band would play, and it was uh, it's crazy. Uh, That's awesome. It's cool. That's awesome. So when when was the first time uh, you guys toured under the moniker Corey Wong? What was that like? Yeah, um, I think that was probably five years ago, maybe five or six years ago. And we this is a this is funny. We uh. You know Mr. Talkbox? He's the guy who does uh the beginning of Twenty Four Carat Um Magic, the Bruno Mars okay. song, the the intro on the Talkbox. Yeah. He's like the Talkbox intro guy is that's Mr. Talkbox. He's a great, great uh performer, Talkbox. He's like one of the, the best Talkbox guys in the world. Um yeah. um and super cool. Anyways, Corey, I don't know how they ended up meeting, but we basically got on a tour with Mr. Talkbox. This is kind of shortly after that song blew up. And uh, so Mr. Talkbox invited us on his tour. Um, I think is how it worked. I'm trying to remember. Um, he But he got a bus and we were sharing a bus with them. So it was like his band and our, our band together. We, we did a, an East Coast tour from, I think, uh, maybe Atlanta, uh, like kind of going up and down the East Coast. Um and that was playing for rooms like 200 to 500 uh, size venues. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I was running, uh, <laughs> so it was a four-piece, uh, me, Pitar, Kevin McIntyre, who, who used to be the kind of the main bass player, he, um, and me and Corey. So four-piece, I had been running Corey's computer Final Cut Pro into a screen I think we did that. I think we did this this tour, um, and projected Antoine Stanley on the screen, and played a <laughs> line of tracks of him singing, while we played along with him. That's that's pretty good. Yeah, it was it was a it was a whole thing. Uh, yeah, it was pretty funny actually. I I remember I remember seeing the the laptop like next to you, um, 
like in, in some videos and being yeah. like, I wonder what that's for. And then it like you like saw the screen at one point and I was like, oh, like he's the like there's nobody off stage controlling what shows up on the projection screen. Yeah. Like it's it's Kevin. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was that was my job. So <laughs> yeah, it was it was it was crazy. Uh running Final Cut Pro with audio, uh splitting to the house and then the HDMI or whatever to the to the screen that we'd have set up. And we would project different things on the screen, sometimes Anthony Stanley, sometimes other things. Um kind of a, almost like in a comedy bit. Like we would have ran, random things flash on the screen. Right. And uh yeah, we did that. Uh I think it was just something extra. We had a four piece. We would oh we'd project like the horns up there and we'd play along. Uh so it was all tracks. So I was running the tracks and then Pitara would have a click in his ear. Um right and uh yeah we uh we we did that uh then that tour we did mr talk box then we were breaking off to do um dublin london berlin i think it was um so we get to the airport patar is the whole tour saying that he doesn't think he's going to be able to get into the uk all right and he's freaking out Corey's like, I talked to a guy. They said it's fine. Patar is Serbian. Patar, uh, oh, yes. Sorry. Yeah. Patar yeah. yeah. <laughs> is Serbian. He does not have a, yeah, a U.S. passport. Um, he thinks he cannot get into the U.K. Um, Corey's like, no, I talked to a guy. He says everything's fine. We get to the airport. Patar can't go. <laughs> All right. He can go to Germany. Okay. He, he can't go to the U.K., though. So... We had a show in one two days. We fly to we fly to Dublin. Yeah. Uh, meanwhile, Corey's basically looking at like hitting up everyone in London and and the UK that he knows. Um, got uh, he I think he called actually um, I think it was the guitarist from Jamiroquai that he. I think it's. I think maybe it was Rob. That's that's connections. Those yeah. those are connections. I right think there. it was him. <laughs> I think he's the one that recommended. I think it's Rob. Um, I, I'm pretty sure. Anyways, we got this guy um, who uh, just met up, just showed up, and just learned all the learned the book. Um, showed up. We did, I think, two shows in Dublin, and then went over to London, played a show, and a guy filled in. So, anyways, Corey flew to or, or Pitar flew to Switzerland, which is where his girlfriend at the time lived. So he just went there, waited for us to get done with the tour, and actually went really it went fine. Actually, the guy yeah. did a great job um samson Giotto, i think uh i think is how you say his last name yeah, awesome drummer uh but yeah he just le- panicked last minute hired a drummer on the spot and we did the that with with him went to berlin and then we did a show and we recorded with this guy named marty fisher who's actually a guy who's on um a lot of different cory tracks he's the guy who wrote cameron which is a, a cory song um or, or co wrote or whatever and um he's a uh, we recorded a record for him. So we kind of did like a played a few shows and then recorded a record um, in this uh, German uh, studio where it was just like these, these engineers are just chain smoking. And it's like, it's like, <laughs> <laughs> it was just, uh, we played foosball on the breaks and stuff. It was just, it was a pretty fun time actually. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was the first tour. It was, yeah. Learning about, um, you know, what country Pitar can go into and what he can't. Um, that was a tough one. Um, <laughs> since then, uh, we've had different drummers in the UK, and then he, Pitara has done a little bit of the stuff in the UK. I think now he's maybe now he's good, but we've had uh, Jordan Rose, who's a drummer for Theo Katzman, 
uh, play with us over in the UK. And we've had, I think we've had, yeah, we've had other drummers um, at times. We've had a, a guy named Armando Lopez, mm-hmm. who's a great drummer from um, uh, Miami. Um, but um, yeah, it's, it's a learning curve, you know? So yeah, <laughs> but, for sure. But that was also, sure. Corey was, was tour managing everything himself. Yeah. Um, he, he had run, he, I mean, he was doing everything. So since then, you know, he obviously he's got a lot of different people helping. helping <laughs> There's out. a crew now. There's yeah. a crew now. But uh, yeah, that was that was pretty wild. It was fun though. You know? mm-hmm. And and you guys really like it. The Corey Wong really started to at least touring wise started to take off in like early 2019. I want to say right. Um. Yeah. I mean. Uh, yeah. I guess you could say take off. Uh, I'm not sure. I mean, we. I think we started maybe 2017, and then ever since then it's been. You know, every time we come back, we were playing a bigger club, mm-hmm. you know, and it's 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 just been kind of a a, a slow build or fast build, I guess. Um, yeah. Just always, always upward. Um, pandemic, obviously, um, stopped some some of that. But um, yeah, since we've we've been back and we've toured two, almost, uh, two uh, one and a half tour cycles and it's yeah, it's better than ever. It's going mm-hmm. great. It's going yeah. great. But yeah, we started, you know, like 200. We played Dublin. I think we played Dublin probably five times now, and we've started at like a. We started playing in this basement, like a 150 cap room with no stage. Everyone like circling around us. It was super cool. Uh, actually, it was really fun. Like I love that intimate you know, setting of that kind of mm-hmm. thing. But we've just you know every year we go back, um, and maybe sometimes more than once a year, and it's just just growing every single time. So. Yeah, That's awesome. and it's funny because when we first started touring, we were touring in Europe right away. Um, just Corey through the internet. So yeah, um, well, and this kind of music is very like, like that. There's a big European audience for like instrumental music like this. Like you know, you guys, Wolfpack, Snarky Puppy. Like there's all there's always a huge audience for that, and I I feel like in even some cases you might be playing bigger venues there than you do yes. in the states. It, the trend has been we're 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 like one year ahead in Europe versus the United States in crowd size Got or it. venue size. Um, and that was, I think, right off the bat, we were, we were kind of touring in America and Europe at the same time. And somehow they're just a little bit ahead. Um, so we've been playing both markets the entire time and um, playing them equally, uh, pretty much on an equal amount. So um, it's been really interesting. Mm-hmm. So one, one thing, you know, you, you mentioned having different drummers and different bass players and, you know, people rotating mm-hmm. through and obviously you know you were touring without a horn section at first and then you yep. had a horn section yep and then a different horn section and then a bigger yep. horn section yes um so h- how do you adapt you know and, and do you have to adapt like the arrangements of songs how you play based on who is on the gig yes um to a great degree actually um i could i could i could uh start with originally with a four piece you know there's four people playing there's a lot of room uh, a lot of room for me. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot, often I am not taking the melody. I am often kind of support. Like um, I, I feel like a lot of my role is uh, helping energy uh, go, um, pushing energy around, having it peak at the right moment, helping yeah. the overall, um, yeah, pushing energy around and and, and kind of responding. Uh, we often call my role as a floater, where I'm kind of at times I am, I'm improvising, but I'm comping, I'm improvising, uh, kind of responding to everyone else where other people are locked into parts. 
mm-hmm. um, as a four piece, I have a plenty of room. So I have, I'm very active. Um, the more players you add, the less active I can be. Um, I, you, you add three horns. Um, my role, my voice in it kind of starts to diminish a little bit. You know, you had, you had five horns and it's like, they're taking all the melodies and they're playing right. a lot of stuff. Um, I have to, I have to pivot. And often um, if I, if I'm not locked into a part, I'm, I'm playing pads. I'm playing Oregon or something. I've, 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 I've played a lot more pads on organ or synths and stuff. The bigger the band has gotten mm-hmm. because there's just a lot going on. There's a lot of rhythmic information. Um, and it's just so much is covered. And the horn, the horn arranger, Michael Nelson, who is one of the best in the world and very ambitious with his horn writing where he's, he's doing stuff that's almost impossible to play live, uh, technicality wise and rhythmically where it's so dense. Um, so I have to adjust my role a little bit to simplify. And, um, I definitely have to respond, uh, to the arrangement. When you talk about bass players too, Sonny Thompson plays a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he's all over the place. When 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 I, I'm playing with Sonny, I have to adjust a little bit. And this is something that I've, me, Patar, uh, the drummer, and Sonny Thompson, the bass player, we've played um, years and years and years. Like at, at one point we were playing in Minneapolis uh, three times a week for at least a few years with, uh, with the Bunkers thing and then um, with another guy in town at bunkers actually on a wednesday we were playing sunday mm-hmm. monday and wednesday at bunkers for nice. years together just just us three so we he knows we, we know each other's playing and it's like when sunday's playing i i have to back off a little bit when we have a a guy like johannes who uh, is another bass player with us he played on the dave cause record with us and mm-hmm. he he's one of our og guys um in minneapolis he plays with a guy named stokely right now who's a a pretty famous R&B singer, um, Bank on Mint Condition. And um, he, uh, you know, he leaves more space and I get to step out more. It's it's like I, I my role um, very much uh, changes on the, on the players in the band, basically because I don't have as many locked in parts. Um, right. It's like uh, certain songs, I'm like, this is what I'm playing. This is my part. But some of these songs, I'm just kind of floating, kind of improvising. You know, and that definitely changes. I'm responding to to the band, and um, that's yeah, uh, mm-hmm. I, and that's that's my that's my job. I so, guess. what is your favorite currently? Your favorite Corey Wong song to play? Ooh, uh, Radio Shack. That's a great one. Radio yeah. Shack. It's it's just like this high energy song is just to the nuts. We just play it through. It works every time. Yeah, there's there's no improv or anything in it. It's just, you know, blazing straight through like a short, I don't know, three minutes tune maybe, mm-hmm. and it's just super fun to play. I think yeah. all the melodies are great. Like everything on it is just it's just super fun to play. Um, and then we we get real uh, real into it when we play it live. We just we just started playing this, so maybe it's because we haven't played it all that much. Um, yeah, some of the the, the Wong's Cafe tunes, I think that those are just making their way into the rotation, right? Yep, yep. We just started. We just added uh, Radio Shack, Let's Go, um, Disco Disco Deloon. Yeah, yeah. We've done a little. We've played that a few times now. Um, mm-hmm. I saw you guys uh, put out a video recently, uh, like sound checking that tune. Yeah, um, which was which was cool to see. I love you know I love when 
Corey puts out those videos and you know you get to see the little the behind the scenes work which is yeah. very cool yeah yeah so that, that's one we've been working on and adjusting horn parts and just trying mm -hmm. to figure out how to do it um as this band you know, right with the horns and all that stuff so right we'll sure. probably play it more we'll see next tour so i think we kind of got a good arrangement of it now so i love that tune actually a lot mm -hmm. um, it's a good one yeah um okay so you know we've talked about this a lot um you know in our messagings on social media but you know I, I'm everyone who knows me knows that I am a huge keyboard nerd for like anything yeah. keyboard related. And, you know, I've, I've been very interesting, very interested watching your rig change, even though there haven't been a ton of changes, yeah. just the differences in the changes and how you approach it. So take me through what you've had in your rig, um, yeah. with Corey, yep. um, and where you want to go in the future. Yes. Okay. So, um, originally I was just using a Nord Electro 5D um, because it was very small and we needed to travel. Um, a lot of my rig has been defined by travel. So what I can take on a plane, I had to kind of abandon the idea that I'm having uh, for a lot of years that I'm going to have what I want and <laughs> adjust to something uh, just make some compromises, you know, it's just like, no, man, right. I really want to bring my Wurlitzer, you know, or my Rhodes or, or anything. Um, as time has gone on, um, well, I guess let's, let's go. I had the Electro realized, you know, I, I don't have any expression. Um, I don't have an expression wheel. Um, I don't have a, a pitch mod, a wheel or mod, mod wheel or a pitch stick or any right. of that kind of stuff. That was the big thing while I was like, okay, I need a stage. I, I don't have I don't have those on either of my keyboards and it, it drives me nuts. <laughs> yeah, like just put it on, but they do it on purpose. You know, the yeah. electro is more of the vintage keyboards. I want to get into some sense too if I'm just bringing this one board. Um, right. And so I had to get a stage, um, which has actually been great. I got a stage three compact, uh, which is light with my case is 48 pounds. Uh, and it was like 50 pounds was the limit before we got ended up getting like status or whatever and um and so that was a big that was a big part of it um i ended up getting an ob6 dave smith ob6 synth which is great synth super cool kind of dig it digs into some of those 80s oberime uh tones which is mm -hmm. what the ob stands for which is like prince you know all the all the 80s stuff um minneapolis minneapolis is like a huge that 80s sound you know um, so I got an OB6 to mix with Corey stuff. I figured it'd be a good mix. So I was doing a Nord with the OB6 for a while. Um, and since then it's, I've, uh, on our U S tours, I bring my own organ, um, and Leslie and just put the Nord on top. Uh, I've ditched the synth. I've just done all Nord since, uh, for a while mm -hmm. live. Um, so I'll do the organ and the Nord. Um, and for the last few years, we have rented an organ basically every gig that I that we fly out to. So when I'm in Europe, I'll get an organ and I'll, I'll and a Nord, and I'll load mm -hmm. my sounds onto like whatever Nord if I'm not bringing my own. So uh, I'll, you know, it's been for 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 some years now. It's just like Nord and organ. Right. And w when you get those backline organs, I know they're like, you know, different models that different places will have and oh, things yeah. will have different modifications to it. Oh, so yeah. like what what what's the what's the coolest or what what are some of the coolest like 
weird modifications that you've encountered. Yeah, in a, in I guess order. not too many weird ones, but uh, they all just have their own personality. So I'm dealing mm-hmm. with a different instrument, and uh, it could be, I mean, uh, a very wide range of good sounding organs and bad sounding ones. Um, mm-hmm. I always like them when they got the the reverb uh, dial. Uh, yeah, that's like a reverb. Some of them have like a gain uh, boost or an EQ on it. That's those are some of the cool mods that are on mm-hmm. there. Otherwise, any, any of the any of the pitch bend uh, organs? <laughs> no, no, that no, that'd be insane though. But there's a trick where you can like turn off the organ and turn it back on real quick, and then the whole uh, if you if you if you turn it off and turn it on quick enough, um, it won't die. Mm-hmm. Um, go and it will pitch down and then pitch back up. That's kind of a fun mod. But if you if you have it turn it off for like long enough, depending on the organ, for like two seconds, it won't turn back on. Even if you flip it on, you have to restart the whole thing. You know, so right. it's, it's, it's so a the, risk in that. It's, <laughs> the organs it's don't an do element that. of fun. <laughs> oh yes, yes. So it's really fun to do it. Like say your last chord of the of, of the night, just mm-hmm. in, just in case you mess it up. You know, right? Exactly. <laughs> Worst case, Worst, the, the chord yeah. just fades. Exactly. <laughs> or, or it fades in a cool way. Weird. Yes, exactly. Go all the way down. That's fun. Um, yeah. But sometimes, like, I think we did a, uh, you know, sometimes I'll get, like, two Leslie's. I think we, we did this gig in Serbia, uh, in Patar's uh, hometown, or uh, close to his hometown. And we, I think, I think I, that was the night I had two Leslie's. And it was, so sometimes we'll, we'll, I'll get, you know, I'll have some choice of some gear, you know, and mm-hmm. uh, I'll have, oh, they have a synth here. Oh, they got a, they got a Whirly or a Rhodes or something, you know, so I'll, I'll adjust, uh, especially on tour, um, or especially overseas where it's like, I'll use whatever. I, I, I'm, I'm super down with playing on whatever board. I'll play this mm-hmm. gig. If they give me a Whirly, I'll just play on that. If they give me some whack keyboard. I'm super into it. Uh, like, right. So, in, and if there's, if they have like something like a Whirly or an organ, like something more vintage that, that is there, I assume you will end up using that more in the gig than if it was just like the Whirly patch on the Nord. Exactly. I am. I'm gonna play on what sounds the best, um, right? And, and that's with any keyboard, you know. Like I'll, I'll try to find the strength of the keyboard. Oh, this organ doesn't sound that. Oh, this happened to me uh, the other day. I was. Uh, I'm getting my organ fixed. One of my, I have two organs. My main organ is stuck in Nashville right now, waiting to go on the next tour when we when we start touring out. Yeah. Try to fix up my organ front that's home. It's not quite working um, the way I wanted to. I took it to a guy and he. We were just—it's not quite there yet. But I played a gig in town. I did this Tom Petty tribute show. Um, that was fun. And um, but the organ's not sounding. Uh, the volume is just all kind of messed up. So I played it a little bit, but I—I I, I didn't. I I played on the piano most of the gig. Um, mm-hmm. You know, so I'm adjusting for how how good it sounds, and um, I will do that um, on any on any gig. You know, I'm using, my, using my ears. I'm not just going to be. Um, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm seeing how it sounds. You know, I'm going to mm-hmm. respond. I'm going to change how I play, um, and and luckily, um, you know, a lot of this, a lot of this, uh, this music works on can work a lot of different ways. Um, you know, I'm just, I'm trying to get the melody. If, if I'm playing a melody, I'm going to play it. I'm going to play the melody on whatever instrument I got that sounds good. You know, uh, yeah. So just yeah, adjust. That's that's awesome. And are, is there anything that you're you're planning for in the near future um, to add or change uh, to your touring rig. well i'm hope. oh you know what i'll tell you what last uh last tour i ran um i brought a uh a twin reverb mm-hmm. 1970s um and i was running so i have my nord you can do 
multiple outputs on the Nord. So yeah. I have my piano and all my synths running through the left, right, like the main ones. I had my Rhodes, Whirly, Clav running through into my twin. Got it. So um, I've done that on tours where I, 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 I'll bring separate amps for different patches. Like mm-hmm. I, I've done a, a Blues Junior uh, in the past. Uh, I saw this, I this saw in, in that recent uh, behind the scenes video um, where like, you know, the amp blew out or something and you yeah. had to borrow one of Corey's. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So the twin reverb didn't last uh, that long and I started using one of Corey's amps and it worked great, but it's nice to have that amp feel. So mm-hmm. I'm trying to, you know, uh, just get some of that real amp sound. Um, I would like to add, you know, um, I think maybe next tour or tour after that, I'll add, I want to add a Wurlitzer maybe a clav you know oh so and we just got to put them on the bus or you know just got to bring them i just got to bring them because i have it you know sleep sleep with it in yeah. in your bed yeah, on the exactly, bus like exactly. anything to bring it with you <laughs> exactly so it's just you know it's a lot of inputs and we just gotta right we're, we're bringing our own sound and it, it'll um if we can fit it um i'll i'll be adding that but the the, the idea would be to have four keyboards up there um ideally um, a Wurlitzer and a Clav, or like a maybe a Whirly and a a synth, maybe like a Prophet or or something, mm-hmm. or a Clav and a synth or um, a CP80 or something. You know, like something right, something cool, something vintage, something that a looks CP cool. CP would be very cool. You know, um, so that could be fun. It's just they're just heavy. Right, I got, I got exactly. one like I got one right behind me actually. I got a, a CP80. CP80. Oh, nice. It's like the big one though. It's like oh, like the with the yeah, yeah, it's yeah. Big. that's that's tougher to fit in the in exactly, the exactly. <laughs> but that would be awesome to bring, um, like just something like that would be really fun to add. I got the organ, yeah. that's cool. Um, but yeah, like a, a Wurlitzer or a Rhodes, um, mm-hmm. you know, something something else running through an amp, you know, just get that tone. And then I would lean on it more. I would play it more. Right, so that's the thing. I I don't. Yeah, I play on what it's I. It's more fun to play a real Wurlitzer than it is to play a Wurlitzer it, patch on a Nord. It is, for sure. Whether or not, even even if it sounds identical, uh, yeah, which it, which which it doesn't, but like you know, the they, feel. They, they get really close. Yeah, the feel. I'm gonna respond to the instrument how it sounds to me, how it feels to me. So I'm gonna play it differently. I'll play it better if it feels better, you know. Right. And I'll want to play it more. You know. Got it. Got it. So, you know, obviously you guys play the songs live differently than you do in the studio. Um, And obviously over time, the song structures are going to evolve and change as you guys, you know, maybe want to take lengthier solos or do different things with it. Um, But since, since the pandemic, really, you guys have gotten way jammier on stage. Like I I feel like there's been a lot more like 15 minute songs um, than there were before. I think Um, what has, what has brought that on and how do you guys approach changing the structures of the songs yeah um you know i think we've just maybe we've been playing mm, i don't know i think we just play long enough together and we just want something different at times we Mm -hmm. we get we get more comfortable um or Corey has gotten more comfortable letting that happen um live um maybe through uh, you know playing the tune a hundred times and it's like okay let's let's do something different or let's let's get that live right. thing um i've always been kind of pushing for uh spontaneity on the spot um and uh, you know maybe uh, other people have too and it just ends up happening o- mm-hmm. over the years um or someone 
uh, we're, we're maybe we're playing longer shows, so there's more room for that. Um, you know, earlier on we were, I think we were doing shorter shows. Um, we're not doing, um, and um, yeah, there's more room for that. Long, lo- you know, longer the show is, the more we can feel like we can let loose on on some of them. But um, yeah, I don't know. I think it's just we just kind of we're we're comfortable as a unit and we know like all these times that we jam or or whatever we we've got a good a solid end point we know how we how, we know how we're going to get out right uh, well most of the time yeah most of the time we know how we're going to get <laughs> most out of the time. <laughs> yeah sometimes um i think it was like after the pandemic um we'd get to the end of a song or something and Corey would just start playing something and then him and I would do a thing and we, we go for, for a while and then maybe the other band members will come in and, mm-hmm. um, and into like some random other groove. Um, and, uh, yeah, we've, we just, I don't know. Um, I don't know why, but it's, it's happened more and it, I think you get a taste of it and it's like, Oh, we can do this. Uh, you know, it's just getting comfortable with it. I think Corey didn't, uh, uh come up on that kind of, he didn't do a lot of jam stuff really uh, yeah. beforehand. So he, it was a little more unfamiliar to him. And I think he was a little more nervous about, about that than I was, or maybe some other, the members in the band. And I think as, as we've kind of gotten more into it, he's realized that the, the scene um, appreciates that kind of thing. Yes. And, it, and if you're going to get, if we want anybody that's going to come to more than one show, which at times we are now starting to do like two nights at one place, mm-hmm. which is awesome. And we'll play completely different sets and people want to see, that thing if you want that that crowd i think he he was more in the pop uh sense of thing where you kind of play the same show every night or, right. or kind of I mean, he got away from that pretty quick but um that was kind of um i think he i think he came from that world a little bit um so it took a while for uh, for that to happen but it's, it's happened and i wouldn't say we jam nearly as much as a lot of other bands but we we do a little bit of it and it's been fun um yeah no, there's definitely there's definitely a lot of crossover between the jam band community and like the 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 funk community, like what you know what you yeah. guys are doing. I, right. I think more so jam band leaning towards the funk than you know the straight funk people going to see you know Fish or right. you know whoever. Right. Um, but yeah, like people who will go and see you guys and travel to see you four nights in a row, and so it's like, well, you know, we want to do something different. Right. Um, what, what's cool to me, my, my favorite kind of post pandemic rework, if yeah. you will, um, has been what you guys have done with meditation. Oh um, yeah. Like, you know, what I, I fell in love with that song immediately when it came out uh, yeah. at the beginning of 2020. And then, you know, I saw it live. Um, mm-hmm. the only time I've seen you guys so okay. far, yep. um, which was awesome. And then when I, I first heard, you know, you, you guys posted uh, a video of it. Um, yeah. in the spring and I, I first heard this this newer version of it where yeah. you know same intro yep. but you know you've now got the b3 going you, you're like yep. just laying down the textures during Corey's solo and then you get a super extended outro thing going like it's just that that is phenomenal to me and i i yeah, love the way thanks. that it gets stressed out yeah yeah it's yeah. been a really fun one that, that's been a moment where cory cory will play the intro um he, he's got a couple ways he uh kind of ones that he will tend to go to but he also he'll take that intro um and kind of do whatever he wants so he's mm-hmm. he'll improvise the intro straight up and then we'll do the whole song and then i'll go on um a, a outro tangent for a while trying to play play with the melody but i'm kind of like uh stubborn where i'm just trying to i'm trying to improvise like 
every night, you know, right. Keep it different, keep it fresh, keep myself interested. And, uh, mm-hmm. um, hopefully not to a fault, you know? Um, but it's, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll do stuff like that where he'll give me some, some room to stretch. Um, and, uh, yeah. And on songs like Lee or smooth oh, yeah. move, like stuff like that, where yeah, it's just yeah. very easy groove for you guys to sit in. Like I, your, your synth solos on Lee are some of my favorite <laughs> Thanks. stuff. That's like I, and thing. yeah. And all the videos, you just have like this, like shit eating grin on your face yeah. while you're like playing with the knobs and stuff. <laughs> yeah. It's those one chord jams that are just it's the most fun to play over. Um, you know, there's no changes. It's just, just maybe, uh, maybe all the information is maybe a fifth, like, uh, right. Or a, or a one note bass part, uh, 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 you know, just one note. So it's just like, okay, well then the harmony is completely up in the air, and I can mm-hmm. do whatever I want. Everyone knows to, no one's adding that much extra harmony, so that, you know, they know I can, I'll do whatever I want to, and that's what's super fun too, because I'll take a solo, and then maybe uh, Eddie Barbash will take one, or Corey will, and they'll do something completely different with it. And mm-hmm. it's, I love the, the all the one chord. Or one note jams, and that's just. So do you guys fun. do you guys decide before the set who's going to take the solos on songs like Lee, or is yes, that just do. on the fly? No, we. Uh, it used to be somewhat on the fly, but we we've um, gotten really pro with our set list making, where we mm-hmm. got like you know, uh, we'll have set lists printed out before the show. Like our tour manager will print them, and they'll have solos listed, often for the lighting guy and for the sound person, and then also if. Um, you know, when we give the, uh, you know, fans will end up with a set list. So we'll try to make it look pro. And so we'll, we'll often the, that stuff is listed now. Um, Corey will decide or w- sometimes it'll, we'll, we'll pivot in the middle of the song. But um, it's kind of deciding and we're trying to d- distribute the solos, you know, throughout Evenly. the night. Yeah. 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 To some extent. So, so yeah. Um, Very cool. Very that's cool. That's a fun one. Yeah. So, yeah. We've been talking so much about, you know, you playing with Corey, but yeah. you also have a lot of your own stuff going on. Um, yeah. And including an album that I mentioned at the beginning, including an album that just recently came out. So tell me about Kevin Gastongue stuff. Yes. Um, so I released a new record uh, two weeks ago, um, or almost two weeks ago, um, called Last Place Dreamer. And it's a um, instrumental record, so... Um, featuring like I think it said in the bio like a lot of vintage elements um, it's kind of like uh, a lot of theme theme uh, TV theme movie theme uh, has a lot of those kind of elements um, kind of not a ton of improvising in it in it but it's instrumental tunes with very um, I think fun melodies um, draws a lot of inspiration from Henry Mancini uh brian uh you know um what's his name brian wilson um beach boys uh charlie hunter i would put a has been a huge influence of me uh of my instrumental yeah, he's writing. fantastic and uh uh it's larry goldings um mm-hmm. uh and basically like uh, yeah it's just kind of fun instrumental music that's kind of quirky um but i use a lot of Rhodes, Wurlitzer, um, a lot of compact organs actually on this record. A lot of Farfisa and uh, Vox. Uh, I have a Jaguar, mm-hmm. um, and um, so those '60s kind of Doors-ish sounds, animals. Um, I love 
I love that stuff. And I, I take a lot of melodies on the record with that, with those keyboards through like a wah pedal. Um, so I use a lot of that. I got organ, uh, a lot of piano, like just a whole array of keyboards um, that I use um, on that on the whole record. Um, also, I started arranging for strings and horns. Ooh. So um, I got a string quartet on three, four of the tunes and horns on two of the tunes. And then the rest of it is more of like a rhythm section, uh, keyboards, bass, drums, uh, guitar, got a pedal steel player and a harmonica player on one of the tunes too. Um, mm. So, uh, and then Kenny Holman, the title tr- or the first track of the record takes flute. Who's Kenny Holman's the sax player. One of the sax players of the band. He's also in the, the fearless flyers, Delta force. Yeah. I was, I was going to say there, there are many sax players in the band. Yeah. Yeah. And he's, <laughs> and he's also like uh, one of Prince's guys for a long time. He was toured with Prince mm-hmm. along with the other horn players. And um, so OG, OG cat, but he plays a, a nasty flute solo and bass clarinet on it. So it's, it's, it's got a, a pretty wide range of instruments. Um, and uh, yeah, it's fun. It's got, it's groovy. Um, and it gets kind of all, all over the place. Um yeah, definitely some kind of Beatles elements in there too. Um, it's, it's not too, it's not super jazzy, but it's not. Mm-hmm. It's definitely uh, quarterly. I think interesting, um, and it's interesting melodies. Um, um, yeah. So well, yeah, yeah. Definitely go check that out. Um, you know, I I I need to do a full album listen. I've heard uh, a yeah. couple of the songs and I've nice. I really enjoyed them. Um, Thank you. You know, they sound awesome. So. Go check out Last Place Dreamer. Yes. Um, wherever you get your music. Yeah, um, yeah it's it's everywhere. Mm-hmm. All the places. There you go. So, what, what, you know, kind of a last thing. Your yeah. favorite venue to see music and your favorite Ooh, venue to play yes. music. Yes. Um, you know, Red Rocks is, you know, kind of an obvious, I would think. Um, yeah. But that's For a, both? <laughs> for both yeah <laughs> yeah we've played we played red rocks twice those were some of the best shows coolest shows i've ever played um and to see i mean i was i've, I've seen it there just from we play there we open for um string cheese inst- incident um and then we also did one opening for blues traveler recently mm-hmm. um so you know you can go out and watch them so i kind of get a little both worlds um red rocks super fun we played this show in southern france this past summer and we played this giant like coliseum in uh it was like a it, it was a roman um like amphitheater kind of thing whoa and it was like red rocks a, a, a bigger and we opened for george benson and yeah it was insane um it's like jazz in vienne i think it is, it is in vienne france and mm-hmm. It was just nuts. That place is super cool. Um, but I love, man, I love, I think I said earlier, like I really like small intimate venues. Like I love venues under a thousand people or even, I mean, it's clubs, 200, 100. Right. Like I, I just love the intimacy of that stuff mm-hmm. so much, you know? So it's like, I like the big crowds. It's super thrilling. Um, but it's different energy, you know. Sometimes the crowds feel really far apart, and it's hard to connect or hard to feel like they're in with you if they're too far away, or it's it's kind of a wash, you know. And um, so, yeah, some smaller venues, um, yeah, yeah. But yeah, Red Rocks, super fun. Um, 
who played uh, the uh, Hollywood Bowl this summer. That was incredible. Yeah, that's awesome. That's really cool. Yeah. You get, getting everywhere. Getting yeah. everywhere. And you're, yeah, you're, we're, back out, you're back out on the road in mid-February, I believe, yep, on the next yep. leg of the U.S. tour. Yep. And you guys have European uh, dates booked for next fall. You're yep. going everywhere. I, I assume there's more to be added oh, yeah. uh, for yep, next year, a which... bunch more already pending that is not announced yet, but it's, it's going to be real fun well, we got victor coming out with us and yeah uh, so does that mean no sunny on the tour no sunny will be playing he'll be switching to guitar so uh sunny oh. i think i think how it's gonna go is we're gonna play one set um as just us and then the second set vic will come out and play maybe the whole second set with us playing i think uh a lot, a lot of our tunes but also uh, some of his tunes, maybe some flectones. We we want to play some flectones, so we'll see right. what happens. But um, and then Sunny will switch guitar on the second set. So oh, and oh my god, I, you know that that reminds me, and I I totally forgot to ask about it earlier. But you guys yeah. have started doing this tiny instruments shtick. <laughs> yeah. Um, how did that come about? And because I I love it, it's it's hilarious, and it's a really cool thing to do on stage. Yeah, yeah. So um, it was just kind of a. I don't know. Corey came up with it, and the whole idea is that so we have Sierra Hall um, on the road with us this past tour, mm-hmm. who's an incredible uh, mandolin player and singer and songwriter. And uh, she, you know, mandolin is a small instrument, and then we had this idea of playing instruments smaller than the mandolin. <laughs> <laughs> so it was uh, halfway through the show. We we all we just go up to the front of the stage. I'm playing a melodica. We have um, Jay Webb, trumpet player, plays this tiny trumpet, like a, it's called a pocket trumpet. Mm-hmm. And Kenny plays a piccolo flute. And uh, Corey, uh, ba- Sonny's playing this, like, I don't remember what it's called, but it's, it's one of these small basses with like rubber strings. It's uh, the U bass, I think it's called. Yeah. And uh, we got all these like miniature guitars playing on this tiny, like, like a toy drum, drum kit yeah, yeah it's, drum it's kit. hilarious <laughs> it's super funny and uh yeah it's just kind of a bit we'll play songs uh acoustically like kind of more of an acoustic band hey, you've been you've been covering dave matthews right? yeah yeah <laughs> yeah yeah so what's fun actually we did a um um a vip show um the whole last tour and it would be basically a kind of a meet and greet slash show kind of hang between me, Corey, Sonny, and Pitar. Mm-hmm. And we'd be doing the Tiny Instruments, uh, um, a Tiny Instruments show with um, where we play a couple tunes that whatever, we try to play them, um, our, our tunes on on those instruments. And we'd also take requests. Right. So we would we would be playing, uh, yeah, Dave. We'd get requests for like Toto. We'd, get, <laughs> we'd just like, ever like any request, any song. You know, because uh, do you get not... do you get the free bird request? Oh uh, yeah, yeah, we'll get yeah, and we'll, <laughs> sh- we'll shame him. He'll get booed. Um, because it's a small group. You know, it's like maybe ten people to like thirty or forty. You know, right? So it's like a small little show, and uh, and that's really fun. You know, we we all um, we everyone in the band has played, has jobbed as a musician for a super long time, so everyone knows just a million songs. So we just try to play what we'll take requests and, and just try to pull it off you know like chances are we know it you know yeah <laughs> it's not super obscure you know well, so that, that's, that's been awesome a, so, so we've had to practice with the, the mini instruments thing with that and then right to the show and uh yeah we, we you know we recorded we had we had our our video guy 
um, who does a lot of that video editing, uh, Michael Bowden, he was with us this whole last tour. So he was filming most shows. So we're, we're, we'll have, um, we'll be releasing um, some of those Ooh. sets um, sometime soon. There, there's uh, been yeah. some stuff. There was a, there was a, a video from Stubbs that was out uh, this morning. Oh, so. nice. Okay. Nice. Stubbs was fun. Cause it was uh, extremely Freezing. cold. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we all wore like these uh, jumpsuits and, we had heaters on stage and it, we thought it was going to be just terrible, but it actually turned out to be an awesome show, especially the first set. And it was like, we're, I think, I hope he releases that stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, I hope it turned out good. And, uh, cause that was just a, it was, a, it was a cool vibe. Um, yeah, we're in Austin, Texas and it's like 40 degrees. Yeah. What's yeah. going on here? You know? Yeah, um, exactly. It's not supposed to be this cold. <laughs> in Texas. It was like our, it was our last show of the, of the tour. Um, and then we went to Mexico city to play a, a uh, festival and then came home so it was like our last show of the actual tour and then and then we went to mexico where it was warm so that was pretty mm-hmm. nice for uh, for 24 hours basically yeah but you know go, go back fun. to the warmth before yeah. coming back up and here. now you know, uh, you're, you're, we, you're 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 similar north-ish yeah time. we got like five inches last night of snow okay i think i think minneapolis might be further north than toronto and Oh, I think it's yeah. I think it is. I think just it is a sl- just a little bit because it di- you, you guys dip. Yeah. Um, but yeah, similar, you know. Um, but we got winter. We got it's a, cold. It's winter it now. Sucked. Like we, you know, uh, shoveled last night a bunch. Here we go. You know, and it doesn't. Look, it looks like it's probably going to stay. So. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's snowing. You, you got this, see. You you toured the West Coast at the wrong time. I know. <laughs> you like you know go to California in February. I know. The whole <laughs> last year we did this exact same tour basically, mm-hmm. and it was it was warm, and we played disc golf every day. Uh, we'd wake up and play disc golf. That was like the thing we played. I think twice this past tour. It was like a completely Chillier. different tour. It, it was about thirty degrees colder everywhere we went. Wow, Just, and it was it was at the exact same time too, like the same, same everything, but a completely different tour. So it was, it was a uh, it's kind of a bummer. It's like ah, everything is cold except for like San Diego and L.A. was was pretty warm too, but that was yeah. that was it. Otherwise, it was all, you know, it was cold. fall. Yeah, eh. but it yeah, happens. whatever. Yeah. Well, thank you, Kevin, so much. Yeah, uh, for absolutely. being on today. It's been for absolute. Me. Yeah, it's been an honor and a pleasure. Um, yeah. Catch Corey Wong on tour. Um, watch Kevin rip up the keyboards and maybe a Wurlitzer. Um, yeah, in let's February. Hope. Fingers crossed. Uh, yeah, but we'll find out. Uh, I I definitely look forward to uh, seeing you guys again soon. Uh, hopefully, catching a date on the upcoming tour, uh, and hopefully, you guys will be back in Toronto soon. But yeah, I hope so. No, no people people don't like coming up here. It, it, you guys are one of the the regulars. We used to come every tour, every East Coast. We'd come up to Toronto, and yeah. we'd also do Vancouver on the on the other side. And we um, we last last year we canceled the the show like a couple days before it, and we picked up another show in um, Eugene, Oregon instead. Um, yeah, border the border has not yet. been the yeah. border has not been fun since. Uh, but we did this summer. It, it was fun. It we did those. We did those. We did like three shows in Canada this summer, and that was mm-hmm. for these festivals. That so it was fun to to do that. Everything worked out fine. Yeah. So, but it's not on this this coming. I don't know. I think we're still a little bit nervous. So. Yeah, it makes sense. Well, but soon. 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 It will happen for sure. Yes. Well, yeah. Everyone, go check out uh, Kevin's new album. Thank um, you. And thank you very very much uh, for listening to this episode. If we move through stormy weather. 
Hope you have a fantastic day, and I will see you next time. Awesome. Hi, this is Henry Kay, host of the number one music history podcast, Rootsland. Come with me on a journey to Kingston, Jamaica, where we explore the world of reggae music and the untold stories of some of the genre's greatest legends. From the ghettos and tenement yards where the music was born to the island's iconic recording studios. We are so excited to team up with Osiris Media, the leading storyteller in music. Because as you'll hear, sometimes the story is the best song. Hello, and welcome to Novel Conversations, a podcast about the world's greatest stories. I'm your host, Frank Lavallo, and for each episode of Novel Conversations, I talk to two readers about one book, and together, we summarize the story for you. We introduce you to the characters, we tell you what happens to them, and we read from the book along the way. So if you love hearing a good story, you're in the right place. Our ninth season is coming this fall. Tune in to hear from some of the all-time great authors, Charles Dickens, Jules Verne, F. Scott Fitzgerald, and more. Subscribe to Novel Conversations wherever you listen to podcasts.